It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. It is Monday, November 9th, 2009. I had a good weekend. We had our first webinar. We'll talk about that in a second here. I thought it went really well. is long today. Yep, just kind of making some last-minute adjustments here. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. we got a wing-dinger of a program lined up today. I, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, it's uh, This is one of those uh, programs where I, I don't want to say it's going to go into the uh, the annals of fighting for the faith history. And, you know, maybe that would be too much, but let, let's put it this way. Y'all ever have one of those really rich, thick chocolate mousse desserts at, like, a good restaurant where, like, Every bite is just chock full of stuff. Yeah, that's today's pro. <laughs> Another that's today's program. I mean, it, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, so, hey, well, let's talk about what we're going to talk about. I'm going to kind of do a quick debrief on uh, Saturday's webinar on uh, on uh, Martin Luther's Heidelberg Disputation, and I had some tie-ins with his. Uh, Treatise on Christian Liberty. Just good stuff. And then uh, today we've got a, another false prophet bites the dust. We're going to review the biblical uh, standard for testing a prophet and uh, and then listen to a false prophet who uh, apparently is just going on as if nothing happened, yet he uh, fails to uh, pass the prophet test. We'll take a look at that. And then we're going to review Joel Osteen's uh, appearance on The View. Uh, yeah, we're going to review the whole thing. There's a YouTube video out there. It's kind of like a two minute teaser and, uh, boy, was that just cheesy, but we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll, uh, let, uh, we'll let, uh, Jay Gresham Machen, uh, respond to Joel Osteen. And then we got an interesting article from Christianity Today by Mark Golley entitled Yawning at the Word. Yeah, that's right. Yawning at the Word. And then uh, it, that's going to be kind of interesting. I've got a Walther quote I want to read. We're going to read First Timothy chapter 4. And then our sermon today is a good sermon. And uh, really excited to share the, this one with you. It's read by Matt Harrison, who I pray is going to be the next president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. This guy understands what uh, w- what it means to grow a church. And what I mean is, is that what's necessary for that? It's not, uh, it's not methods and and things like that. It's well, pure doctrine. And so he's going to be reading a sermon uh, that was preached by uh, C. F. W. Walther in 1872, entitled "Sermon on Pure Doctrine for the Salvation of Souls." That's right. The name of the sermon is "Sermon on Pure Doctrine." For the salvation of souls, and that ties in nicely with uh, our reading today, First uh, Timothy chapter four, and then uh, and so that'll be our program today. It's chock full of nuts, if you would. It just it's really it's going to be packed. It's 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 a rich, thick chocolate mousse cake today. All right, uh, real quick. Saturday, uh, we had our very very first pirate Christian radio 
webinar. And it went fantastic. We had about 30 people attend. And I think you're like, well, that's not very money, uh, very many people. Uh, here's the deal. I, the thing I liked about the, uh, the, uh, the event itself was that because 30 people attended, I mean, it, it was quality time. There were great questions asked. And right now we're doing post-production work to make the webinar available uh, for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew, uh, you'll, you are, you'll, will have access to this archive at no extra fee. And uh, we'll make it available for download for $6.95 at, uh, at our website, uh, both Fighting for the Faith and PirateChristianRadio.com. Um, and you're thinking, $6.95? Well, yeah, $6.95. <laughs> uh, that's what it costs to join the Pirate Christian Radio Fighting for the Faith crew. And, uh, but the webinar was fantastic. It, uh, it, uh, I, great questions. I really enjoyed doing it. And it was one of those things where, uh, you know, it, it, being our first, it, it will only get better from there. And, uh, we'll be doing another one, uh, not this Saturday, but the following Saturday. So there's a, we're going we're to try to do two of these a month. And already I'm kicking around some topics in my mind as far as what I want to do. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking that what I probably will be doing, one of the things, I, one of the projects I'm working on, one of the books I'm actually uh, in process of producing, is I've taken uh, A.L. Grabner's book, Doctrinal Theology, and I'm completely bringing that into the 21st century using modern language, modern English, and uh, modern translations. And uh, may consider doing a long-running series on doctrinal theology, uh, using Grabner's book as uh, the background for it. The thing I love about uh, his book, Doctrinal Theology, is that uh, every doctrine is copiously documented and supported using the scriptures. And so uh, I, I may consider doing a long-running series on that, maybe doing that once, a, you know, the Grabner stuff once a month and uh, and then, you know, throwing it off, you know, bizarre topics, not bizarre topics, di- different topics on the other week. So that's what we're thinking. Again, if you are a member of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew, even if you couldn't attend, you will you have access. It'll be in the cove. I, I'm hoping shortly. It, it, the post-production work on this is a little bit challenging because I want to I want to key it in with uh with my PowerPoint slides. And so kind of sync that up. It'd be kind of like a video if you would online, but uh, the thing I love is that uh, nowadays with the technology being the way it is, I mean, we can have this huge file and uh and it doesn't matter that it's a large file i mean the the you know 100 megs who cares i mean that's two editions of fighting for the faith as far as mp3 files and the nice thing is is that the, you'll be able to see the slides and uh and of course i'll read the you know you hear me reading the questions and so we're working on post production work to get that available and uh and just again thank you all for attending those of you who attended and looking forward to uh, more of them in the future uh, just a, a value added for those of you who've, uh, who are supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio by joining our crew. All right. Uh, so with that in mind, what we're, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a false prophet who's, bit, who, uh, who's bitten the dust. But the problem is, is that uh, he, had, he doesn't seem to acknowledge the fact that he's bitten the dust. And uh, this requires us prior to actually playing the audio from this video that, uh, that is on YouTube where this guy predicted, uh, well, let's say he predicted a nuclear explosion in Washington, D.C., and it's supposed to have happened already. But uh, we'll get to that uh, when the time comes. I want to first lay some biblical track here. 
But the Bible, God himself, God himself foresaw, basically because think of it this way, he's omniscient, omnipresent. Uh, he knows the end from the beginning. And so in his word, he has not left, left us defenseless against those who claim to be receiving prophetic words from him. And uh, and this, the scriptures say, do not uh, despise prophecies, but test them. Do not despise them, but test them. And so there's some there are some biblical tests given to us in the Old Testament regarding prophets. And here's the deal. If you're going to make yourself out to be a prophet, claim to be a prophet of God, uh, the the standard for your prophecies is 100 percent. 100 percent. God does not grade prophecies on a curve. If you say that something's going to happen and you're using God's name to claim that it's going to happen, uh, then uh, if if the prophecy doesn't come true, you are a false. That's why. Right. False prophet. End of story. Uh, we are not to listen to you. Uh, in fact, in ancient Israel, um, uh, if you claim something was coming from God and it didn't happen, uh, the the. Um, Using the civil law, if you would, uh, the uh, the penalty for being a false prophet was death. You were to be stoned to death. And so let me read to you um, again. This is from the Bible. These are, you know, gives you an idea what God thinks about false prophets. Deuteronomy chapter 13. I'm going to read verses one through five. And uh, the Lord speaking, he says, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. Now, keep in mind, just because a prophet or somebody prophesies something or gives you a sign or a wonder and it actually is true does not make that person a true prophet. Okay, you have to test the doctrine. You have to test What's being taught? So, with, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and he says, "Let us go after other gods, uh, uh-oh, uh, which you have not known, and let us serve them." You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Now, when it talks about obey his voice, where, where do we, where can we definitively know for sure uh, that God's voice has been recorded for us? Answer: the Bible alone, Scripture alone. That is the one place we know with certainty uh, where God's voice is recorded for us infallibly, and it's a, it's infallibly authoritative. How do I know this? Jesus Christ Himself. Uh, basically put his stamp of approval, claiming that uh, the Old Testament and the soon-to-be-written New Testament are the word of God and uh, and that we are to listen to that word. And uh, and how do we know that Jesus had it right regarding uh, the, the word of God? Well, uh, well you'll keep in mind, uh, Jesus basically taught that Genesis was a true story. Jesus Christ himself taught that Jonah was really in the belly of a big fish for three days. And uh, Jesus Christ basically put his stamp of approval on the Old Testament without any hesitation as the authoritative word of God. And he, well, he claimed to be God himself in human flesh. And he proved this claim by raising himself from the dead on the third day after he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. 
you find the bones of Jesus Christ, you'll discredit his credentials. And until such a thing has happened, by the way, all the eyewitnesses uh, to the event say that they saw him dead and then alive three on the third day or, you know, he appeared to them bodily uh, on many instances prior to his ascension into heaven. And uh, their eyewitness testimony is probably as impeccable as it gets. Um, that being the case, we go with Jesus Christ's opinion of Scripture, and his opinion of Scripture is, is that it's the authoritative word of God. That being the case, we can say with certainty that we know in the Bible we have the voice of God recorded for us, and so we are to obey it and believe what it teaches. And if somebody comes and uh, performs miracles and, and declares prophecies that come true, uh, that contradict the clear voice of God, um, you know, because keep in mind, Deuteronomy thirteen four says, "You should fear the Lord." And obey his voice, you shall serve him and hold fast to him. And somebody is leading us astray or leading us away from God's word or is teaching something false about God's word, you don't listen to them. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, verse 5, Deuteronomy 13, shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall purge the evil from amongst your midst. So all false prophecy, all false teachers, all false prophets are preaching rebellion. If this was in Greek, we would say apostasia. Uh, uh, They are teaching apostasy or rebellion against the Lord your God. That's what false prophets are. They are rebels <clears throat> to steal a phrase from uh, Shirley Phelps Roper. She's right in that sense. And we can say, yeah, she's correct. Uh, but that's what a false prophet and a false teacher is. They are rebels. They are apostates. They are preaching rebellion against God's wor- God and his word. Now, Deuteronomy 18, 21 through 22 says this. If you say in your heart, how wait, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? So talking about false prophets, how do we know uh, when God hasn't spoken because somebody's, you know, a prophet's going to rise? Here's what the Lord says. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously and you need not be afraid of him. So here's the deal. Okay, if somebody prophesies something or performs a miracle or a sign or wonder and it comes true and they teach you contrary to the clear voice of God that we have in God's word, you are not to listen to that false prophet. If somebody arises and claims to be a prophet and they claim something's going to happen and it doesn't come true, again, that is a false prophet. The penalty for which, according to the Mosaic law, would be the death penalty in order to purge the evil from among you. Because, listen... There there are lots of liars out there, but not all lies lead you to hell. All false prophets are preaching rebellion against God, and they are ultimately destroyers of men's souls. You know, that's how you have to view them. They are not to be taken lightly. This is the worst kind of lie that can be spoken. In fact, this is an example of uh, blasphemy, of taking the Lord's name in vain. Now, let me read to you uh, an interesting passage from cha- uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 23 through 22, uh, 32, sorry, 23 through 32. 
regarding what God thinks about false prophets. This is this is some scary stuff. If you're a false prophet, you should take heed. God says, "Am I a god at hand?" declares the Lord, "and not a and not a god far away. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him?" Uh, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? declares the Lord. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy and the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams? I, I would think of people like uh, Joshua Mills, Patricia King, Todd, Todd Bentley, and uh, folks like that. Uh, that I uh, forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name and followed after Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. Let me read that again. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them so they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. So keep in mind, God has made it very clear that he is against lying prophets, those who basically preach their own dreams as if they're from the Lord. Now, that being the case, it is a absolutely serious, deadly serious, as in sending to hell serious thing. When somebody within the Christian church or uh, as part of a, quote, Christian ministry, prophesies in the name of the Lord, and it turns out that they are a false prophet. The church must not, should not, cannot tolerate such men or women. They are preaching rebellion against our God. Case in point, case in point, um, there is a gentleman who has a radio station on the Internet uh, New Wine uh, Ministries, New Wine Radio, and his name is Pastor Vincent Xavier, and he prophesied the total destruction of Washington, D.C. Uh, via an underground nuclear weapon. He claimed that God told him the weapon would be detonated on the 10th or the 11th of October, 2009. And nothing, no one would be able to prevent it from happening. In fact, he stated emphatically it would happen in the month of October of 2009. God will surely not get the month wrong. So uh, those followers of Vincent Xavier of New Wine Ministries, uh, they they have some splaining to do. Well, at least he does. Let me uh, play for you the audio from uh, this particular prophecy and see what you think. Here's uh, Pastor Vincent Xavier, and now we can definitively say false prophet. 
Vincent Xavier. And let me just say this to you tonight, something that I know, not something that I believe. I know tonight that there is in Washington, D.C., an atomic bomb set in that city that will be detonated. I know that. And I will say it again, in Washington, D.C., there is underground an atomic bomb that will be detonated in Washington, D.C., that will level Washington, D.C. to the ground. Now, real quick, we're, not, we're just into the tip of this particular, quote, prophecy. Sounds like he's very certain. He says he knows. He knows that there is a nuclear weapon in Washington, D.C. that's going to level uh, um, Washington, D.C. to the ground. He knows. He's not, he's not tepid about this. He knows it. Where there will not be left one stone upon another. This I say that I know. And I also know when that bomb is going to be detonated. If you knew on a particular day in the month of October 2009 that a nuclear device would be detonated in Washington, D.C. on a Sunday when not too many people would be in the Capitol buildings or the White House, where most people would be back in the suburbs. If you knew on that day that a nuclear device, an atomic bomb, were detonated that would level Washington, D.C. to the ground, and you knew that once that detonation took place, that this world would change more so than on 9-11-2001, when two buildings fell down on the ground and 3,000 people were killed. But the heart of this nation is Washington, D.C., the strike is going to be Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. is the heart that will be struck with such a great strike that the impact of the strike is going to send circular shockwaves throughout this nation. Every person on the North American continent is going to be infected, affected by the strike. Notice uh, false prophet uh, Vincent Xavier here is uh, he's very certain that this is going to happen. Uh, problem is, is that today is uh, Monday, November 9th, 2009. Uh, uh, the entire month of October of 2009. Well, that's now history. And he wasn't speaking maybe. He wasn't saying that God will do this unless they repent or relent. He's saying he knows for certain this is what's going to happen. Washington, D.C. is going to be leveled to the ground. There will not be a stone upon it. We've heard now and understand that the CIA is leaving Virginia from what we've heard. Whether or not it's true, I can't say it's the truth, but I heard from very reliable sources that they're on their way to Colorado. It is not going to be a good time to be traveling across this country. It is not going to be a good time to be in your car trying to get to your relative's house. Would to God we knew the exact date. Well, what if we did know the exact date? What if we knew exactly when things were going to happen? Would we listen? Would we pay attention? 
We've heard wolf cried so many times. We've heard one prophecy after another with dates that never came to pass. I mean, after a while, you do get a little weary of listening. I don't blame anybody for that. Uh, yeah, the problem is, is that this hasn't happened. It's very, very dirty. It's very, very unclean in America right now. It is filthy. It is so filthy. This nation is filthy. And we know it not. This nation is about to change. We've been marching towards a moment wherein everything will change. We're coming to that moment, ladies and gentlemen. Our feet are, as it were, standing over the edge. This is not hype. We're not on the Internet looking for the latest scare tactic. We're not selling fear. We know that God has said, do not pray for America, but pray for the saints in America. Pray for the church to be prepared to go through the collapse of this nation. We already know that God said, I've drawn a line. America has crossed it. It will never return. It will never be the same. We already know not to listen to the false prophets, and we're not to look at Wall Street or the... Okay, I agree. We shouldn't listen to false prophets. Uh, that means we shouldn't listen to you, Pastor Vincent Xavier, false prophet. You've said that uh, you said that sometime in October 2009 on a Sunday that uh, that uh, there would be a nuclear bomb going off in Washington DC that would level it to the ground and it's November markets for an indicator on how things are for when they say peace and safety sudden destruction comes we already have learned all of those things a great tribulation is coming against the saints of God this collapse yeah i would agree with you there the problem is the attack seems to be within by you know via false prophets and false teachers like yourself this strike is going to be a release probably in the month of november there will be a release against christians globally so the strike that's supposedly supposed to happen in october is going to lead to a quote release of christians whatever that means in november just like there was a release against Islam after 9-11. There was a release against them. The release after this October event in November will be a global persecution. So you know, the problem is the October event didn't happen. So could we just kind of like, uh, listen, I don't want to have to pencil in and, you know, for the remaining month of November that Christians are supposed to be experiencing a release or global persecution as a result of the non-event that that you prophesied would happen in October but didn't against Christians but then how can you confirm a great strike against the heart of the United States what chapter do I find that in the Bible it's not in there there must be the voice of the Spirit of God revealing things to people yeah, but uh, no, there mustn't be. We have God's word already there in the scriptures. We don't need a false word that claiming to come from God, at least claiming that you're claiming that it comes from God. It didn't because it didn't come to pass. And we believe. And we know certain things because God has revealed them, not men. No, he hasn't because it didn't come true. God did not reveal this to you. Otherwise, it would have come true. The month of August and September, ladies and gentlemen, let them be our finest months. <laughs> the Feast of Tabernacles this year will be October 3rd to, I believe, October 10th. Sunday, October 11th, will be the following day after the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh-huh. 
Sunday, October 11th, will be the following day after the Feast of Tabernacles. Interesting things happen on Sundays, like Pearl Harbor and other great events that have changed the world. So there you have it, him spelling out that uh, Sunday, October 11th, that right after the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, we the, the, apparently God forgot to pencil this in on his day planner. You know, maybe we need to send God one of those Outlook messages, you know, a reminder for his inbox. Uh, he completely missed it. God did not destroy uh, Washington, D.C. via nuclear bomb on uh, October 11th, 2009. Vincent Xavier is a false prophet. Now, this is interesting. Uh, he didn't do a mea culpa. He didn't repent, but he sent out an email clarifying his uh, <clears throat> what he apparently said and he wrote greetings dear friends we have successfully relocated to northwest region of arkansas and that's be arkansas and we will be back on the air live this coming thursday time to be announced i would like to clarify something that has perhaps been misunderstood by something by some concerning the october prophecy uh, you may need to do some research, but if you do, you'll find that the only thing I said that the Lord told me was that in October there would be a strike against the heart of this nation, which is in uh, Washington, D.C. Um, <clears throat> hang on a second here. He's admitting something uh, here. He said that the Lord told him that in October there would be a strike against the heart of this nation. No, the Lord didn't tell him that because it didn't happen. I have leaned strongly on the dates, the 10th and the 11th, due to a weighty amount of evidence shared with me and confirmed several times in the word. However, I did not hear the Lord tell me those dates. But the Lord did tell you October, right? It's November now. However, I, I did not hear the Lord tell me those dates. I simply heard him say October. While I remain strongly convinced of, of the above dates being correct, I repeat, I did not receive that from the Lord directly. I did hear that the strike will occur uh, during the 9 a.m. hour, meaning that, that from 9 a.m. to 9.59 and, and 59 seconds, the strike will take place. Again, if, if you research our audio files, you will hear clearly what I said. Also, please understand that I have never put... Uh, together a YouTube video or a blog or a forum concerning this prophecy. All those blogs and forums and videos were done by unknown sources to me. Those would be people who are holding you accountable. Uh, thank you for allowing me to clarify. Well, um, false prophet Vincent Xavier, uh, you are a false prophet. You need to get off the air. You need to stop preaching to Christians you have, and Christians, you need to not support this guy. You need to kick him off the air. Don't give him a single dime of your money. He is a false prophet preaching rebellion against the one true God. He is not sent by God. God does not speak to him. And you need to abandon this guy and get back into the word. That's what we are to do with false prophets like this. Not tolerate them. Not put up with them. Out. He's gone. Excommunication would be a fine thing at this point. We are to treat him as an unbeliever and call him to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Because even now, Jesus Christ can forgive him of his false prophecies. He needs to repent and receive the forgiveness of sin for his false teaching and false prophecy. That is his only, only hope. And is our hope as well.
All right, we are up on our first break. When we come back, we're going to be reviewing Joel Osteen's appearance on The View. We'll be listening to the entire thing. And we're going to let uh, uh, the sainted uh, John Gretchen Machen respond to uh, Joel Osteen. And then we're going to take a look at the uh, recent uh, article in Christianity Today called Yawning at the Word. And then in hour number two, we have a fantastic sermon uh, read by uh, Matt Harrison, uh, that was delivered by C.F.W. Walther in 1872, a sermon on pure doctrine for the salvation of souls. Uh, definitely, it's it's a, just a brilliant, brilliant sermon, and I'm so glad that Pastor Harrison has uh, done the work to uh, bring this sermon back to life, if you would. And uh, and so we'll be taking a look at that now. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. Pirate Christian's my name there. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Quando. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. I'm here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm gonna give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay, when I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Quando, we use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. You think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off, my students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now, for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. What if the entire resurrection was a hoax? Well, that's the premise of the book, A Skeleton in God's Closet. 
Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber, a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archaeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archaeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth no matter what the cost. Said Paul Erdman of the New York Times, with a skeleton in God's closet, Paul Meyer has created a new genre, the theological thriller. It reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity. It's a superb book. A Skeleton in God's Closet is available at piratechristianradio.com. It's right there on the homepage. It's available for $14.99 plus $4.95 shipping and handling. And all proceeds support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com and get your copy of A Skeleton in God's Closet today. Way too much energy for a Monday. I'm sorry if you're suffering from Monday melees. My energy could well, it's not over the top, but I have a lot of it. <sighs> All right, need to warn you: this program is not politically correct. We are known here at Fighting for the Faith to take false doctrine and sacred cows and brutally, well, slaughter them. That's that's what we do. I, I apologize. That's really what we do here, though. And uh, it's really for your own good. All right, I need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That's right. Your gifts and your financial support make it possible for us to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio, the entire thing itself, to you. And so you can support us a couple of ways. You can visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, strongly consider joining the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. I mean... Listen, it's only $6.95 a month, and when you join, you get access to our Pirate Christian Cove. You have access to all of our webinars for you know at no additional cost. And it's a, it's a growing treasure trove of plundered theological resources right there for you It's it, so that you can go deeper in your understanding of the scriptures, sound doctrine, apologetics. It's just a fat, fine, fine way to support us. And plus, when we get to 1,000 listeners who've joined our crew, and we still have a long way to go, I mean, like, terribly long way to go. But once we get to 1,000 listeners, then that ensures on a monthly basis that we have the minimum amount of financial support necessary to con- you know to pay our bills and uh, continue uh, bringing this uh, important radio outreach to you and uh, our goal really is, is to get well beyond that so that we can find ways to creatively expand the reach of fighting for the faith and pirate christian radio so join our crew fightingforthefaith.com click on the join our crew button fill out the form there and, and a mere $6.95 would be deducted from your account every month automatically and uh, that's a that's like right now the way we're really looking for people to support us. And if you'd like to send a donation, a uh, flat amount above and beyond that, no problem with that either. And we thank you though for those of you who've done that. You can do so by uh, clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it along to Post Office Box five zero eight Fishers, Indiana, zip code four six zero three eight. All right, so Joel Osteen recently appeared on The View. And uh, the the ladies at The View, (laughs) let's just say that uh, 
they asked some really good questions, and Joel Osteen, uh, he just biffed it. And why did he biff it? Well, Joel Osteen is a false teacher. He's actually an apostate heretic. He does not preach the biblical gospel. Uh, what he preaches is something that is not is not the biblical gospel. It's something completely different. It sends people to hell, and it's not consistent with Scripture either. And so what we're going to do, we're going to play the entire you know segment there where he appeared on The View. And if you'd like to see what he looked like, um, I will post the YouTube video, the two-minute teaser that the that the view put on YouTube. I'm going to post it in the cove because you'll you when you see how cheesy this guy looks, it's ridiculous. But the the segment itself uh, it begins at the beginning of the view, and I want you to hear how they uh, how he was introduced on the program as at least in the teaser section of the opening part of the program as to what it is that he was going to be talking about on the view. Here we go. Listen carefully to this little uh, gem. Then, Pastor Joel Osteen is telling you why, even in tough times like these, you can achieve a successful life beyond your wildest dreams if you find out how to activate your faith. So you, even in these tough times, you can have a successful life beyond your wildest dreams if you learn how to activate your faith. Is that like activating a credit card? You know, when they send you a new credit card, you have to call the 800 number to in, you know, in order to, quote, activate the credit card. So there you have it at the beginning, right off the bat. And what is he doing? He's, uh, he's out there shilling his new book. Um, and, uh, his third, of course. And, uh, anyway, here's the, here's him now on the view proper. And, uh, listen carefully. And again, if you want to see what this looks like, I've got a video, uh, posted in the cove where you can see the cheesy, cheesy grin and just smarmy, cheesy, the look this guy has, it's ridiculous. And I mean, it's like he, he walks on sunshine and rainbows. Here we go. Here's Joel Osteen on The View. Every week, more than 7 million people tune in to see Pastor Joel Osteen preach to crowds bigger than a rock concert. And in his new book, he says, even in times as tough as these, you can achieve anything if you just believe. Please welcome Joel Osteen. You can achieve anything if you just believe. I'm going to vomit. Welcome back. You know, everyone, you're referred to as a smiling preacher. But I want to know, like, do you get angry? Do you get, do you not smile ever? You know, you... Uh, I smile most of the time. That's nice. I mean, we appreciate He's it. known as the smiling preacher. And when and you see his smile, it's just plastic surgery time. I hate that. But ask his wife she's in the audience. Yeah, wait, your wife is here. Do you see? smile all the time? He does smile all the time. Is he does. He's got a good demeanor. Is it medication? Uh, it's happy. <laughs> well, you know, we have so, so many things out here. We got the swine flu. We got uh, people losing their jobs. Uh, just everything's at an all-time high. Do you think... People are turning to God more because of these things. You know, we see that, Cherry. Our congregation has grown. Friends that pastor churches, the same thing. I believe people look for their faith in difficult times. And, uh, you know, that- no, they're looking to cut a deal with God so that they can somehow get out of the bad circumstance they're in. That's why I feel like the, you know, the, the message that we have of hope and letting people know that, you know, seasons come and seasons go. And, we, you know, this too shall pass. And I believe if we stay hopeful 
you know, in faith, expecting good things. That's what allows God to work in our lives. You have four- so what allows God to work in our lives is, is if we stay hopeful, expecting good things. That's what, quote, allows God to work in our lives. That is nowhere taught in Scripture. This is a false gospel. This is a gospel that sends people to hell. We continue. 40,000 people every week come into your church in Lakewood Church um, in Houston. Is that what keeps them coming back, that hope that you you continually deliver? Now notice, it's not the hope of sins forgiven, the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. It's the hope of... Uh, activating your faith and uh, in such a way that you allow God to work in your life so that you can rise above your circumstances. That's not the gospel in that's in the Bible at all. What does Paul say? If anyone comes to you, either we or an angel from heaven were to come to you preaching a gospel other than the one already preached, let him be anathema, eternally condemned. What's the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached? Well, it's recorded for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. We learn it is that he, as a first importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture for our, our justification. The Christian gospel, the biblical gospel, the gospel that Jesus wants us to proclaim is repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Uh, one for all of us uh, on the cross by Jesus' vicarious penal substitutionary death for our sins. Uh, Joel Osteen doesn't preach this gospel, by the way. He preaches something completely different. And this is all law, by the way. This is not gospel. You can have these things if, 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 if you do the right things. If talk is law talk. you got to do the right things, then God does that. In other words, you turn God into your debtor. God owes you because you have done the right thing. That's not the gospel. So, you know, they, they, uh, they want to worship the Lord, honor God, but mm-hmm. I, th- I think it is we give them practical things. And, you know, like people, what? Well, you know, people are so beaten down these days. Yeah. There's enough things pulling us down. So when they come into our church, I want them to leave better than they were before. I want them to know that, you know what, God's in control. Yeah. That he is guiding their steps. Yeah. That when you stay faithful, when you, when you when, do... When you stay faithful. When you stay... When you... When you... You... That law, 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 law. <clears throat> I feel like singing today. Do your best to honor him. That he'll take you places you've never dreamed of. So if you do these things, then God will... Take you places you never dreamed of. Law. Not gospel. Law. Quid pro quo. Uh, basically, a wage, if you would. God becomes your debtor. You are in, God is indebted to you for you doing the right thing. Right. It's confusing to me some of the things that you do say, because you talk about financial prosperity a lot and how God wants us all to be financially prosperous. Yes, he does. Is it right? Am I right? Well, no, I wouldn't say so, Joy. I, I, my my message is God wants to bless us. He wants us to prosper. That, that, that was the important words there. My message. <laughs> See, no Christian has their message. No true biblical Christian has their, quote, message. They have the message that's been given to them, but they do not have their own message. Okay? The message I preach is not the message. It's not my message. It's the message I've been given in Scripture to proclaim. But see, Joel Osteen has his own message. Make no doubt about it. That's his message. But it's not the biblical message. It's not the message given to Christians to proclaim. 
prosper, but finances is one part. You know, to me, prospering is having good relationships, is being healthy. But I do believe that God wants us to have money to pay our bills, send our kids to college, right. to be a blessing to others. I say, but uh, always is like as a Christian, growing up as a Christian, it was always against materialism. That Jesus preached against materialism. So isn't this kind of materialistic what you're saying? <laughs> yes, it is. He preached against materialism. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I, uh, this, is a, this is a fun interview to watch just because here you have all these women who of differing political views. And that's kind of the, the, the hook for the view is that they all have different views. And here they are taking their different views. And they're now uh, taking out their meat cleavers and meat hooks and digging them into Joel Osteen and... He just looks like he's getting fired at from every side. It's beautiful. That's how I was raised. Sure, sure. No, no. I, there, there is. I know exactly where you're coming from, and there is a group that believe we're supposed to be poor and, you know, give everything away. But and, uh, what group is that? Is that like the Shakers? I mean, would this be monks? What, what biblically Christian uh, denomination or church is out there teaching that we have to give everything away? I have, I mean, seriously, this that's a fringe group that I'm not aware of. It's not, it's not in the mainstream at all. You know what? I, I just have a different view of God. I believe God wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be leaders. And it's all, you know, it's all the perspective. I have friends that are in Botswana right now. They just got running water, but they feel blessed. But then I don't, I don't want to look down on somebody and say, you know what? If God wants you to excel in your career as well. Okay, let's. Because you and I have gone through this before. What about repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name? Is he aware of this concept at all? Forward each other. You get up in the morning, you've lost a job. Your house Barbara Walters. Your house is being foreclosed. Your kid just ran away, and your marriage is lousy. There are a lot of people who are going through yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And you say, get up in the morning and feel good. And whistle while you work. Da, 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 da. Well, I do. <laughs> but you know what? I think. What that, do you say to yourself? Well, the option, though, Barbara, is to get up. I can't go. I don't have the heart to tell people get up and get depressed, be bitter, be angry. You're oh, like, come on. That. Oh, man, this is ridiculous. Bifurcation fallacy, by the way. This is not an either or, uh, Joel. No Christian preachers out there telling people, oh, you need to be depressed. And so therefore, he, contrary to all those other pastors out there telling everyone to feel better and feel, he's got a message of being happy. No, this is, he doesn't even preach in a biblical category. Life's over. What do you say? I tell people, you know what? Get up and find something to be grateful for. If you lost your job, maybe you have your health. Say, thank you, Lord, I have my health. Or you have a good country to live in. You got to find, Can't you got to start the day off in a grateful attitude. It, um, you got to get your mind going. In the and right do you direction. feel that God will always reward you if you have an optimistic attitude? You know, I believe you'll enjoy your life more and that you will see God's favor in greater ways. Now, that doesn't mean that. Well, yeah, it's a reward. If you do, if you have this positive attitude, then God's going to reward you with increasing favor. If law, this is all law. This is not the gospel. This is some kind of a quid pro quo based upon Stuart Smalley. I'm good enough and I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. You know, I have a good attitude today, and so nothing bad's going to happen. You know, God takes us through seasons, you know, detours, and sometimes there are closed doors, and we can't stand it. But five years later, we think, you know what, if that door hadn't closed, I wouldn't have met this person or had that opportunity. So it's a lot about your perspective and, and trusting that God is in control. I, am, I, have a, I have 
Here comes Whoopi Goldberg. A perspective, I guess. Yeah, this is this is her perspective. Now listen carefully. She's I think she mirrors much of the culture here. You know, I'm a believer that God created us all and gave us all free will and wants us to live the lives that we live. Well, that's a fine opinion, Whoopi. Can you back it up with God's word? Now, remember, one of the things I point out over and over and over again is that people have all kinds of ideas about God. Okay, and Whoopi Goldberg's ideas here about God, uh, I would say they're not unique to her. In fact, I would say that there's probably a large portion of Americans, and I would even say Christians, who think similar thoughts to Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, that you know, God gave us all free will and wants us to live the lives that we're living. I mean, whatever that means. This, the, here's the deal. Where does the Bible say that? Where does the Bible teach that? Answer, it doesn't. <clears throat> we continue. What's, how do you feel about folks who are gay? How do you feel about folks who are gay? Listen carefully. Who are different. I mean, do you also believe? Because I kind of like the groove you're in, but I just want to make sure that you're including everybody in that. I like the groove that you're in, but I want to make sure that you're including everyone in that. Who is the who is God in that statement? Whoopi Goldberg is God. I just want to make sure that I like the vibe that you're in, but I just want to make sure that you're including everybody. Oh, well, thank you, Goddess Whoopi. I appreciate your opining in such a magnanimous way, and it just sounds so loving that you, you know, as, if you were God, then you would include everybody. That's so loving and kind of you. Uh, did I mention the fact that you are not God? You are not God. You are not sovereign and you are not divine and your opinion is not binding. In fact, if it contradicts if it contradicts the one true God and what he has revealed in so many ways, it's not even funny. But now let's here we've got poor Joel Osteen. Uh, poor Joel. He just wants to be happy and smile and have his grease slicked hair and his very expensive suit and, you know, sell his book and and uh, here Whoopi has thrown him on the horns of a dilemma and he doesn't even know how to get out of it but uh, now it's about homosexuality let's hear his response are gay folks welcome at your church absolutely we have everybody's welcome you know gays and straights and all different religions and gays and straights and all different religions are welcome at his church you know that here's the weird part it let's say for an inst, for instance that you are a a liberal jew and, you know that's what you were raised in you haven't converted to anything else you're you're welcome at uh, Joel Osteen's church the question is would you hear anything that would make you uncomfortable uh, to make you say oh i yeah, this is just too christian for me this and probably not you know, they're all welcome, but, but Whoopi, I come back to the, you know, what I believe the scripture teaches is that, that, that uh, homosexuality is not God's best. And so, oh, come on. Well, I believe homosexuality is just not God's best. Oh, I, he, oh the tragedy of homosexuality. Those people are just not experiencing God's best. <gasps> Can you say sin? Sin. 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 I come from that value system of the scripture. 
I can't pick and choose. I love everybody. Oh, but you do. Believe me, you do. I can't say that I don't have friends that are not gay. They're some of the nicest people in the world. Do, 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 do you think it's a choice? Or? Oh, man. Butter does not melt in Joel Osteen's mouth. I mean, seriously. I mean, he's so tepid that butter does not melt in his mouth. Ice cubes stay frozen in his mouth. Well, I believe that um, I don't believe that God would create you against something that he tells you not to be. So, you know, and I don't understand it all. So but... it's an orientation to you then. It's not... <laughs> He's just stepped into a long running conversation there on The View as to whether or not homosexuality, if you're born that way or if it's an orientation. <sighs> so out of his depth. It's something you pick to be because it's very difficult to be gay in, in, in this society. Well, I, I know it is. We just try to, love, I just try to love them and, uh, <laughs> man, treat everybody with and respect. Accept, acceptance. I do, but I try to share what I believe is God's best for us. Oh, yeah. That's so, so great of you. Now, here comes the, there's a problem with your thinking. You know, the, 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 see if these folks, the, the, the ladies on The View are not dumb. And they could see the problems in the message he's preaching rather clearly. I just, I just wanted to follow that up only because you, it was an interesting phrase. You said, not God's best. Is it possible that God doesn't have a best? <laughs> uh, since we're not even in biblical territory anymore, he's off-roading at this point spiritually. Uh, I can't wait to hear this. You know what? I, I, no, I think, Whoopi, that God formed every one of us. He gave us life. He gave us purpose and destiny. And so I do think he has a best plan for every one of our lives. Uh, oh, man. By the way, the uh, the, the heresy, the, I think, uh, uh, Pastor Stephen Parks uh, has a, made a point here that this, this really sounds like the heresy known as eudaimonism. Eudaimonism basically is this idea that God exists to make you happy. Uh, that's, <clears throat> we continue. Now we, we all make mistakes. I've made mistakes, but I believe that if you, if you stay in faith, if you have the heart to do if it. If you stay in faith, if you stay in faith, if, if this is law talk, law, 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 this is not the gospel. What's right, then God will still get you to where you're supposed to be. So did. if you're faithful, God will still get you to where you're supposed to be. Wow. Didn't make a mistake on that one, though. You're saying, you know, we all make mistakes. God might have made a mistake then, if you according to what you're saying. It's a <laughs> Why are you asking tough questions of Joel Osteen like he's even capable of answering them? He didn't do his best. It's a conundrum. It's a conundrum. Yeah. We're yeah, glad they... Oh, it's a conundrum, yeah. You came back, Joel. A conundrum wrapped in an enigma and shrouded in a mystery. Oh, yeah. come back anytime. It's a good talk to have. Everybody in our audience, by the way, is going home with a copy of Joel's new book. Oh, lovely. They're all going home with spiritual poison. That's just great. So that was Joel Osteen on The View. <clears throat> did you find it as enlightening as I did? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the prosperity heresy. And I think the uh, it's basically a repackaging of the heresy known as eudaimonism. Basically the idea that God exists to make you happy. Uh, but you've got to do the right things. That's uh, <clears throat> all law, no gospel. This is not the biblical gospel at all. It's something completely different. Well, we're up on our second break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the uh, article written by um, uh, Mark Golly uh, called "Yawning at the Word." I'm going to have. Uh, I'm going to read something of from Jay Gretchen Machen. He's going to respond to Joel Osteen. And then our sermon review today is a sermon uh, from 1872 uh, by C.F.W. Walther 
on uh, Pure Doctrine for the Salvation of Souls, read by Matt Harrison. Fantastic sermon. Whoa. Anyway, and so we got we got lots and lots of stuff still yet, yet to come here at Fighting for the Faith, so you definitely don't want to miss it. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. Again, my name there, pirate Christian. We will be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you are in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, turning for the written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. What if the entire resurrection was a hoax? Well, that's the premise of the book A Skeleton in God's Closet. Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber, a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archaeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archaeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth no matter what the cost. Said Paul Erdman of the New York Times, With a skeleton in God's closet, Paul Meyer has created a new genre, the theological thriller. It reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity. It's a superb book. A Skeleton in God's Closet is available at piratechristianradio.com. It's right there on the homepage. It's available for $14.99 plus $4.95 shipping and handling. And all proceeds support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com and get your copy of A Skeleton in God's Closet today. The holiday travel season is rapidly approaching, and the last thing you want to do, especially in these economic times, is pay more for airfare and travel expenses than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air, I kid you not, that's their name, provides travel services that you need at the lowest possible prices. Cheapo Air is an eight-time consecutive HitWise U.S. Top 10 Award winner for diversified travel services. So if you're looking for low-cost airfares for the upcoming holiday season, Cheapo Air has what you're looking for. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, that's right, piratechristianradio.com, 
dot com forward slash cheap, you will find on that page a special promo code that will save you an additional ten dollars off of any airfare or travel services that you purchase at Cheapo Air. That's right. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap and book your holiday travel today. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith straight ahead. I warned you at the beginning of the program, today's program was just jam-packed. It's really thick. It's really rich. It's got all kinds of stuff in it. I mean, we got Jay Gretchen Machen responding to Joel Osteen. Who knew that that was even possible? And then we got this article from uh, Mark Golly on Yawning at the Word, and then our amazing sermon re- uh, sermon coming up today. You don't want to miss that. Uh, it's going to be, uh, the name of the sermon is Pure Doctrine for the Salvation of Souls, uh, uh, preached by C.F.W. Walter in 1872 and read by um, the Reverend Matt Harrison of LCMS World Relief. Just a fantastic sermon. Anyway, so as promised, here's Jay Gretchen Machen. Um... Responding to Joel Osteen, he, here's what he says in his book, uh, Christianity and Liberalism. And uh, the sainted uh, Machen writes, he says, The fundamental fault of the modern church is that she is busily engaged in an absolutely impossible task. She's um, <laughs> she's busily engaged in calling the righteous to repentance. Yeah, calling the righteous to you know, What do the righteous have to repent of? He writes, modern preachers are trying to bring men into the church without requiring them to relinquish their pride. They're trying to help men avoid the conviction of sin. These are churches doing that. Uh, The preacher gets up into the pulpit, opens the Bible, and addresses the congregation somewhat as follows. You people are very good, he says. You respond to every appeal that looks toward the welfare of the community and your own self. Uh, now we have now we have in the Bible, especially in the life of Jesus, something so good that we believe it is good enough even for you good people. Such is modern preaching. It is heard every Sunday in thousands of pulpit pulpits, but it's entirely futile. Even our Lord did not call the righteous to repentance, and probably we shall be m- no more successful than he. So there you have it. Uh, Joel Osteen calling the righteous to repentance and uh, <clears throat> J. Gretchen Machen from the grave of all places uh, pointing out the error in uh, Joel Osteen's way of thinking. All right. Since I, you know, this is normally when I do my, uh, when I read a, uh, a news story, it's at, the, it's at the beginning of the program. But uh, <clears throat> from, the, from Christianity Today, uh, the headline reads, Yawning at the Word, it, it's really hard to listen to God when there are really interesting things to talk about. Written by Mark Golly. This is an amazing uh, piece, by the way. Um, and this is from the Christianity Today web-only version. Mark Golly writes, it says, When I preach, I often quote the Bible to drive home my point. I think it's more uh, persuasive to show that what I'm saying is not merely my opinion, but a consistent theme of Scripture. And to avoid the impression that I'm, quote, proof texting or lifting verses out of context, I quote longer passages anywhere from, get this, two to six verses. <gasps> Who ever heard of a preacher preaching two to six whole verses to make up? <clears throat> we continue. 
um, Golly writes, he says, when I did this at one church, the staff member whom I'd, I'd asked for feedback between services told me to cut down on the scripture quotations. You'll lose the people, he said. Now, I understand the reality he was addressing, and, and so I scratched out the biblical references for the next sermon. But lately, I'm beginning to question that move and wondering, why have we become so impatient and bored with the word of God? I ask this not in a scolding tone, but in wonderment, not to point fingers, for I, I wonder at myself as well. Another example of this phenomenon, recently in an adult Sunday school class, I heard a detailed and persuasive lecture on a biblical theology of creation. Rather than reading Genesis 1 and just waxing eloquent from that point on, the teacher patiently read passage after passage to demonstrate how central creation is in the Bible even after Genesis, especially in, in, in the covenant God made with his people. After class, the moderator for the class suggested that for the following week, the teacher make room for questions. He suggested the teacher cut down on the reading of so many Bible verses as this would save time and, and it was strongly implied would, would better hold people's interest. Wow. Anyone who's been in the preaching and teaching business knows these are not isolated examples, but represent a larger reality. We teachers and preachers are well aware of how uh, easily listeners get bored, and we recognize that when it comes to a good teaching technique, extensive quoting of anything can become tedious, and that, yes, it is important to make time in one's presentation for questions, Still, these examples reveal such a feature of current church culture that we that we might want to question ourselves. It has been said to the point of boredom that we live in a narcissistic age where we are wont to fixate on our needs, our wants, our wishes, our hopes at the expense of others and certainly at the expense of God. Uh, we do not like it when a teacher uses up the whole class time presenting her material, even if it is material from the word of God. We want to be able to ask our questions about our concerns. Otherwise, we feel talked down to or we feel the class is, is not relevant to our lives. It is well and good for the preacher to base his sermon on the Bible, but he'd better get to something relevant pretty quickly or we start mentally, uh, start, start to mentally check out. Don't spend a lot of time in the Bible, we tell our preachers. But to, but be sure to get to our personal illustrations, examples from daily life, and most importantly, an application that we can use. It's easy to see how this culture has profoundly reshaped the dynamics of preaching and teaching. All the demands we, that have been placed on, on, on the shoulders of the preacher, so anxious are we to meet needs and stay relevant. No longer are listeners asked to listen humbly to the proclamation of God's word in all its mystery and glory. To be sure, we want the preacher to begin with the word. We are Christians, after all, but only as a starting point, and only as long as he moves on to things that really interest us. We often hear people say how difficult it is to hear God anymore, and I, I wonder if one reason is that we've forgotten how to listen to the word of God. When it comes to us in, a, in the sanctuary or the classroom, we listen like a husband and wife listen when they are in the middle of an argument. They listen only so that they can have ammunition to mount a counterattack. 
And that's not listening. And when we listen to the sermon only to hear what seems immediately and directly relevant, neither is that listening. And, and yet we've, we've raised a whole generation of Christians to listen like this. Again, I, I do not claim that I have transcended this cultural impatience with the Bible. I'm as irritated as the next person when it comes to the public reading of Scripture. Uh, Doesn't this person have anything original to say, I think? Isn't he going to address this issue or that concern? Get on with it. At least I hope he says something funny soon. I try to laugh at myself when I catch myself in such moods. Bored with the very revelation of God, we have this extraordinary gift, this miracle book from the creator of heaven and earth, the mystery of the universe, the infinite one whom we, the finite, cannot begin to fathom, the holy one whom we, blinded by our unholiness, cannot begin to comprehend, the one our, the one who can answer our deepest questions but could remain the question, the, the one who can restore our broken humanity but could remain a vague hypothesis. The one who has revealed himself in law, prophets, and gospel, in the words of a collection we now call the Holy Scripture. Whenever the Bible is read, a hush should come over us. We should be inching toward the edge of our seats, leaning forward, turning our best ear toward the speaker. Fearful we'll miss a single word. The deeds and words and character of Almighty and merciful God are being revealed. In a world of suffering and pain, of doubt and despair, of questions about the meaning and purpose of existence, we are about to hear God's glory, forgiveness, mercy, and love of his intention of, for the world, of his promise to make it all in the good in the end, of the way to, uh, to joy his people, of the means to abide with him forever. And there we sit, tapping our feet, mentally telling the preacher to get on with it. But... If we take the trouble to listen, really listen to that word, we'll discover something else marvelous, that the one being revealed is as patient with us as we are impatient with his word, and as enamored with us as we are bored with him. Ah, yes, even more enamored. What a great piece. What a great piece. Excellent job, Mark Golly. Wow, yawning at the word. All right, real quick here, I'm going to read, uh, uh, before we get into our sermon review, two things. Numero uno, and most importantly, I'm going to be reading uh, 1 Timothy chapter uh, 4, I believe. Hang on a second here. Uh, Yep, it's 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let me get there in my computerized Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is relevant to what we just read from Mark Golly, as well as... um, to the sermon that we're going to be listening to very shortly here. And then I'm also going to be reading a um, something that C.F.W. Walther wrote in the uh, 19th century that is worth repeating, and then we'll get into the sermon for today. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, reading the entire chapter, we read, Now the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Uh, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage, require abstinence from foods that God has created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Verse 3 is interesting. You want to pay, pay close attention to verse 3 of First of, of Timothy chapter 4. Talking about people who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods. Who Who is doing that? This is actually fulfilled already. The Catholic Church. The, the Catholic Church forbids their pastors from being married, and they require abstinence from certain foods. I can think of uh, the fish on Friday thing as an example here. 
Anyway, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Now, I put these things before the brothers, and you would be good a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Uh, notice here that uh, Paul is pointing Timothy to the words of faith and good doctrine. Christianity is built on sound doctrine. And there are a ton of people out there, like Mark Golley has pointed out, who are absolutely impatient with the word of God, don't want to have to hear that stuff. And they've, as a result of it, they've abandoned the faith. I mean, that that's ultimately what it's come down to. But scripture, pastors are encouraged to abide in that word and to stay in it. The good words of the faith, the good doctrine, have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths. That would be false doctrine. Uh, rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers as an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching, and do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by a prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Verse 16, this is the important one. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your on, on the doctrine and on doctrine. Persist in doctrine, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is important. Sound doctrine is not contrary to evangelism and missions and saving people. In fact, sound doctrine is a necessary component, the very bedrock on which men are saved let me read it again keep a close watch on yourself and on your and on the doctrine persist in this so, so for so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers are you concerned about the salvation of souls persist in sound doctrine if you have a heart for the lost persist in sound doctrine this is this will become you'll become even more clear as we get into Walther's sermon. But just before we get to Walther's sermon, I want to read to you something from C.F.W. Walther that sounds like it could have been written today, but it was written back in the, uh, well, latter part of the 19th century. The church appears to be flourishing. Thus, the person who regards the present as the horrible end times is thought to be greatly mistaken. But appearances can be deceiving. The cry of, here is Christ, there is Christ, that resounds from our many pulpits is precisely what makes our age so dangerous and abominable. And it demonstrates that the final evil days of the world are approaching. For it is mostly a false Christ who is now being preached and praised in order to deceive even the elect. There are now many preachers and lady, both learned and unlearned individuals, who no longer believe the Bible is God's word. And faith in Christ is not in, in that faith in Christ is the only way of salvation. 
with their own imagined virtue and good works, they believe that they have made God their debtor and that he must rightfully receive them into heaven after their death and that he must eternally reward them. They do not want to think of themselves as sinners who are in need of a savior. The word of the cross is foolishness and a stumbling block to them. For wherever one preaches Christ as a mere man and not as the true as the true God, fully of the same substance, power, and glory as the Heavenly Father, one preaches a false Christ. Wherever one presents Christ only as an example and as a teacher of wisdom and virtue and not as the Lamb of God who died on the cross for the sins of the world and thereby reconciled mankind with the Heavenly Father, one preaches a false Christ. And whoever accepts this Christ of the unbelievers has forsaken the true Christ and placed his confidence in a dream, being uh, one who never existed except in the imagination of unbelieving fools." Christ himself says, I and the Father are one. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, and that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. C.F.W. Walther. And I thought that was very, uh, well, let's say apropos concerning uh, what we're doing here today on Fighting for the Faith. It is now uh, sermon review time, which means we have to cue up our sermon review music. That's right, the good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. And today is a whoa, good sermon. Yow, good sermon. Like, ugh, this ridiculously great sermon. Preached by the uh, first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, C.F.W. Walther. Uh, Walther, although, although, yeah. <clears throat> he is also the author of... Uh, the Proper Distinction of Law and Gospel, a fantastic book worth reading. You should be reading it. And I have a synopsis of all the different theses of that book available for you to peruse over at the uh, Pirate Christian Cove. For those of you who are members of the uh, Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew, just want to let you know that. Today's sermon is entitled, um, A Sermon on Pure Doctrine for the Salvation of Souls. You concerned about the salvation of souls? Well, we just read First uh, Timothy four sixteen, persist in sound doctrines because by doing so you'll save yourself as well as your hearers. Doctrine is a vital part of evangelism. Sound doctrine is absolutely a vital component if you are concerned about the salvation of souls. And CFW Walther is going to do a fine job of pointing that out. Now today's sermon is actually read by uh, the Reverend Matt Harrison. Uh, who is uh, heads up uh, LCMS World Relief, and I'm hoping will be the next president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate. And uh, this is, you'll, you can also find this sermon as well as other great resources in his, in his new book called At Home in the House of My Fathers. And uh, you can get that at cph.org, cph.org. Let's kill the music. So without any further ado, here is the Reverend Matt Harrison uh, reading C.F.W. Walther's sermon on pure doctrine for the salvation of souls, preached in 1872. Lord Jesus, that we are assembled here today in the unity of faith and united by the bond of charity and peace is not our work, not a work of man. It is only your work, a work of your grace. Praise and honor and glory be therefore unto you in time and in eternity. 
But, O Lord, as you alone have begun the good work in us, so you alone can preserve it in us. You alone can crown it with blessings. You alone can perform it. O therefore, we pray you, since you have united us by your word and by your spirit to labor jointly for your cause, do not forsake us now. Grant us your gracious presence today and always, as often as we meet, and help us. For without you, we can do nothing. Only err, only sin, only ruin your work. Therefore, work with us, enlighten us, sanctify us, strengthen us, bless us, and cause also a blessing to proceed from all our assemblies for the welfare of all our beloved congregations, for the edification of your whole church, for the salvation of many souls redeemed by your blood, and for the honor of your great name. Lord, we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercies. Hear us for the sake of your mercy and truth. Amen. Text 1 Timothy 4.16 Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Reverend and beloved fathers and brethren in the Lord, Christ prayed to his Father for his apostles immediately before his last sufferings, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. John 17:11. And he added immediately, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This prayer of our merciful, eternal High Priest, for the oneness of his followers in him, which has been heard already so gloriously through all the centuries of the existence of his church, we see today again miraculously fulfilled before our eyes. Behold, a host of representatives of six ecclesiastical bodies, which but a few years ago stood in array against each other, indeed, even fought against each other as enemies. Today, in these, their representatives, they glorify God with one mind and one mouth, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. They have met in order to deliberate, after having strengthened and refreshed themselves in common by the word and prayer, as members of one household of faith, as sons of one church, and as cherishers of one cause in brotherly harmony upon the means of attaining that one aim which they all as ministers and children of one church have in view. O oh, blessed happy day! Our children and children's children will speak of it and rejoice. As our former disunion was a sad spectacle for all friends of Zion and a cause of joy to the devil and all his partisans, so is our present brotherly union undoubtedly a cause of joy to God, to all his holy angels, and to all his true children, but a discouraging spectacle for the devil, and for all enemies of God and his kingdom, this kingdom of truth and peace. Still, we do not regret the fight which we formerly fought against each other. On the contrary, 
We rejoice at this warfare, for it was the only proper and blessed means of true peace, which now is granted us. But if even the fight was blessed, how much more blessed will now be the peace that has been gained by it? With joyful hope, therefore, we look today into the future. For the Word of God does not only say how good and how pleasant is it for brethren to dwell together in unity, Psalm 133.1, but it adds, For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. But, my dear brethren, although a conflict is past, which has been crowned with the victory of a blessed harmony, we have not yet entered into the church triumphant, but are still in the militant and suffering church. Okay, now this is an important distinction, and one I think that we would all do well to pay heed to. And that is is that <clears throat> right now the church is the militant church. That is is that we are we are all soldiers of the cross, as it were, Christians. And as a result of it, it's constantly waging battle against sin, death, the devil, his temptations, his false doctrine, and in order to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. It's, uh, <clears throat> and it involves like, all kinds of pain and suffering that goes along with it. And we will be the, 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 the church triumphant when Christ returns or when we go to be with him in glory. That important distinction, we've got to keep that in mind. And so here's the deal. Because we are the church militant, whether you like it or not, whether you realize it or not, whether you want to come to grips with it or not doesn't matter. You are on a battlefield and you're a soldier. And uh, those soldiers who don't realize they're on a battlefield, they become what we call casualties. So just keep that in mind. Therefore, what a pious poet sings holds good also for us. Even if one fight has well been fought, that matters not. The flesh, the world, and the devil are and remain our enemies here below, and they will try to disturb, yea, to destroy again entirely the good work that God has begun among us. Therefore, today already, it is necessary that we arm ourselves against these powerful and fearful enemies. But what is it above all things that will make us invincible? I know of nothing but what the Holy Apostle St. Paul gives utterance to in our text in the following words. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. In these words, the Apostle, in the first place, instructs his dear Timothy to take heed unto himself and unto the doctrine and to continue in these things. And he promises him that in doing this, he should both save himself and them that hear him. But in so doing, the dear apostle at the same time shows us that he who in his labors for the kingdom of Christ has in view above all things the salvation of souls must of necessity comply with these three apostolic precepts. Now this is important because in the name of, quote, the salvation of souls, we have been given <clears throat> the seeker-driven, purpose-driven, quote, church model of evangelism. And it seeks to water down, to hide, to basically 
not bring to the forefront sound biblical Christian doctrine. Instead, the Bible twisted, taken out of context in order to strip mine it for, quote, uh, life tips that will help people to experience a more relevant life, uh, the, the life life more relevant to them, if you would. That's not preaching sound doctrine. And here we have First uh, Timothy 4.16 that says, if you have a concern for the salvation of souls, it involves the preaching of sound doctrine and holding to it firmly. Let us therefore today so apply the words of our text as to consider how important it is that we make the salvation of souls above all things the chief object of our joint labor in the kingdom of Christ. Now, keep in mind, this is salvation of souls in light of this passage. According to our text, especially three reasons make this so very important. For then we shall, one, take heed unto ourselves and thus be kept from acting selfishly in our labor, then we shall, two, take heed unto the doctrine, and thus be kept from violating faithfulness toward the word of God. And then we shall, finally, three, continue also in these things, and thus be kept from growing weary in trials. One. When, my brethren, several independent ecclesiastical bodies unite for joint labor, there is, especially if they occupy for the most part, one in the same territory, not only one of the greatest obstacles to a blessed joint labor, but also, on account of the depravity of man's heart, great danger that each of these bodies will endeavor above all things to enlarge itself, and that it will therefore estimate the blessing of the union chiefly by the gain in members, influence, and respect which falls to its share. Okay, now this is important. What's he talking about here? Uh, working with other congregations, that they'll feel like they're blessed because they, they've gained more members than anybody else. Sound familiar? It's this false idea that uh, you are being blessed by God if your church is, quote, growing in numerical attendance. If that were true, then Mormonism and Islam are also blessed of God. A deterring warning instance of this is furnished by the Roman Church. At first, using her great powers to render only voluntary services to the ecclesiastical bodies connected with herself, her bishops subsequently endeavored to improve gradually the contracted alliance for self-aggrandizement only. Finally, revealing themselves as the prophesied Antichrist in the temple of God, 2 Corinthians 2.4, they have, as far as God has permitted them, converted the kingdom in which Christ alone shall reign into a kingdom of their own power and honor. Although I am far from entertaining the sad thought of a similar issue on a small scale, in reference to our union... Now notice, he's pointing to the Roman Catholic Church that now basically does things for its own honor, its own glory, rather than the glory of Christ. And they've abandoned, they've abandoned sound doctrine and have anathematized the gospel. Still, we too do not yet possess a fully renewed heart, and therefore... It would certainly be folly if we were to conceal from ourselves the fact that selfishness and factiousness, outward as well as inward, threaten us also with danger. Then what are we to do in order to face this dangerous foe? 
the Holy Apostle Paul tells us in our text. For when he promises to his Timothy that he should both save himself and them that hear him, if, in the first place, he keep a close watch on himself, he thus at the same time shows us that nothing keeps us so much from acting selfishly in our labor for the kingdom of God as when we make the salvation of souls above all things the chief object of this labor. Now, again, this is the salvation of souls as our chief object in light of 1 Timothy 4.16, keeping a firm, watchful eye on our doctrine. This is so clear that to offer proof seems unnecessary. For you say, what will be the result if we really make the salvation of souls above all things the chief object of our union for joint labor? Then we shall first, as a joint body, not aim at becoming only a constantly increasing, a so-called imposing organization, and at erecting a great, artificially arranged, though hollow, structure. <clears throat> when you keep the salvation of souls as the chief aim in light of 1 Timothy 4.16, keeping a watchful eye on your doctrine, then you do not build a hollow edifice, even if it's growing. Think about it. How many, what did they say, 40,000 people attend Lakewood Church every single Sunday? It's a hollow edifice because Joel Osteen does not keep a watch on his doctrine. He teaches false doctrine. So who cares if there's 40,000 people attending every Sunday? They're not hearing the gospel. They're not hearing sound doctrine. The salvation of souls is not occurring there. Much less shall we then make use of ungodly means to attain such an end. On the contrary, we shall then willingly be little, yea, nothing. And while we endeavor to obtain only this, that of us, as once the apostolic church, it may be said, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved, Acts 2.47, we shall despair of all our own skill, wisdom, and ability, and shall renounce entirely all honor to ourselves for our labor. And secondly, what then will every single synod of our union do? then every one will rejoice not so much at its own increase as at the increase of Christ's kingdom. Right. We labor for the salvation of souls, not for filling pews. Filling pews many times is a fruit of proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. But sometimes the pews that are filled, are not your, at, they're not at your church. And we rejoice that God's kingdom is advanced, not our own tiny little kingdom known as our church. And if this is brought about not by itself, but by others, it will say with St. Paul, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Philippians 1.18 Yea, if the salvation of souls is above all things the chief object of every synod of our union, then every one will deem it even a deplorable loss if it should indeed gain, but Christ would thus lose even a single soul. Oh, right. Oh, wow. But what influence, finally, will it have upon our dear congregations 
and their ministers and upon their relation to each other, if all acknowledge the salvation of souls as the one chief object of our joint labor, then they will all work together prayerfully, peacefully, and industriously. Even if controversies of all kinds should arise, the question, what serves the best for the salvation of souls, will then always quickly give the right solution. How easily, then, will the boundary lines of every congregation be regulated? Then our dear congregations will say to one another in all such cases, as Abraham once said to Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and thine for we are brethren. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if thou depart to the right, then I will go to the left. Genesis 13. That which gains the most souls for Christ shall decide between us. How far will therefore a congregation and its pastor then also be from gladly receiving as welcome proselytes those to whom holy discipline has been administered by another congregation for the sake of their soul's salvation. How far will we then be from endeavoring to force upon one another such things as are free and may be so or otherwise without detriment to salvation? In short, as long as our synodical conference shall make the salvation of souls the chief object of its joint labor, it will always cheerfully say with St. John the Baptist, He must increase, but I must decrease. John 3. And every one of our synods... Oh, man. Whoa, whoa. Good point. If we make the salvation of souls uh, our chief pursuit, in light of 1 Timothy 4.16, keeping a watchful eye on our doctrine... Uh, then we will say along with John the Baptist, let Jesus increase and let us decrease. And that's the funny thing. Today's so-called great evangelists, the seeker-driven guys, uh, they increase and Christ completely decreases to the point where, I mean, he makes some cameo appearances every now and then from their, quote, pulpits, I mean, stages, <clears throat> But generally, Jesus is bound and gagged in the back room, and they only trot him out every now and then to put on the pretense that it's a Christian church. Perry Noble increases, Jesus decreases. Rick Warren increases, Jesus decreases. Bill Hybels, he increases, Jesus decreases. You get what I'm saying? Every one of our congregations and every one of our pastors will act according to the principle of St. Paul. Though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. 1 Corinthians 9 And thus the poisonous worm of selfishness will then never gnaw at the tree of our union, and the Lord who has planted it will cause it to flourish, to grow, to thrive, and to bring forth fruit for many to life everlasting. 2. But, my brethren, the Holy Apostle does not only say in our text to his Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself, but also, and on the teaching, persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. And thus he shows us, secondly, that 
if we make the salvation of souls above all things the chief object of our joint labor in Christ's kingdom, we certainly shall take heed also under the doctrine, and thus be kept from ever violating faithfulness toward the word of God. As you know, my brethren, it is a common saying in our time that the continual urging of the doctrine is a most pernicious tendency, only hindering, yea, destroying the kingdom of God. And this, uh, this is the same today. I'm not interested in hearing so much about the Bible. You're going to lose people. Keep it funny. Keep it light. Uh, just stop with this doctrine thing. Stop telling me about doctrine. Doctrine divides. Doctrine is bad. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine is evil, evil, evil. No. We are to guard and watch our doctrine because, as 1 Timothy 4.16 says, in so doing, we save not only ourselves, but our hearers. Those who are truly concerned about the salvation of souls would never for a second give an inch in the perseverance and, and the persistence in and the insistence upon sound biblical doctrine. People say, Instead of disputing so much about the doctrine, you ought rather to think of taking care of the souls and of leading them to Christ. But all who speak this way certainly do not know what they say and what they do. As it would be folly to chide the tiller of the ground for his diligence to obtain good seed, and to demand that he should be eager only to obtain good fruit, so it would be folly to chide those that take heed unto the doctrine above all things, and to demand of them that they should rather endeavor only to save souls. For as the tiller of the ground must be eager to obtain good seed above all things, if he wishes to reap good fruit, so must the church care for sound doctrine above all things, if she wishes to save souls. Oh. Man, is that brilliant or what? Huh. For if we wish to save men, we must make them poor sinners first. But this can be done only by the pure doctrine of the law. Then we must lead them to the true faith in Christ and preserve, establish, strengthen them in that doctrine. But this can be done only by the pure doctrine of the gospel. And finally, we must induce them also to thank God with a truly Christian life for their salvation, which his free grace has granted them, and to make their calling and election sure by the same. But this can be done only by the pure doctrine of sanctification. However, many say, we acknowledge indeed that for these reasons it is certainly necessary to cling firmly to those great general truths upon which the salvation of souls depends. But should not liberty be granted to everyone in reference to all other doctrines? What can the result of controversy about subordinate doctrines be but that the body of Christ is torn and the work of salvation of souls is hindered? But also all those that speak this way certainly do not know what they say and what they do. For the Holy Apostle does not say in our text, keep a close watch on the chief doctrines, but keep a close watch on the doctrine, that is, unto everything that is taught in the Word of God. For, he adds, by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. For God has not revealed only this, 
and that doctrine, but his whole word for the salvation of men. Thy testimonies, says David, are very sure, Psalm 93.5. Not only this, or that testimony, therefore also the great apostle of the Gentiles testifies, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work, 2 Timothy 3. And in another passage, he declares that only therefore he is pure from the blood of men, because, quote, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, Acts 20. And finally, Christ himself says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4. Behold, in every word of God, therefore, life is enclosed as in a germ, namely temporal as well as eternal life. The word of God is an immensely rich storeroom filled with manifold inviting meats for mankind, living without God and without hope. When his hour comes, God invites one man by this meat and the other by that one. Who are we, then, to dare to despise the riches of God's goodness and to sacrifice even a single one of his saving words? <laughs> Whew. This is so good. Finally, adding to this the following... As every doctrine of the Word of God is a heavenly seed of regeneration for everlasting life, so, on the contrary, every human doctrine is, in matters of salvation, a hellish seed of satanic birth for everlasting death. Alas, many a soul has been led by a single false doctrine forever into a wrong way to eternity, by a single false consolation forever to a false hope of salvation by a single false threatening warning and reproof forever to a false fear and to perfect despair and thus finally to the loss of souls and salvation oh how important it is therefore my brethren that we make the salvation of souls above all things the chief object of our joint labor in the kingdom of christ then it will be impossible but that we keep a close watch on the doctrine, and we will thus be kept from ever violating our faithfulness toward the Word of God. Whatever doctrine we may be called upon to conceal, or at least to suffer to be contradicted or to yield, we then shall always declare, Shall we take away from the man who is dead in sin even a single means that God has given him which might resuscitate him from death? Shall we take away from the man who grieves at his sins even a single consolation that God has granted him which might comfort him? Shall we take away from the man who is ill of sin even a single medicine that God has afforded him which might restore him to health? Shall we take away from the man who struggles for his salvation with sin, the world, and Satan even a single weapon that God has tendered him with which he might defend himself? and gain the victory. Shall we take away from the man who errs, groping about in the darkness of this world, even a single star that God has lit for him, which might be his guiding star to the blessed goal? In short, shall we take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? 
Matthew 15, 26. No, no, we then shall exclaim as we value our salvation and that of our fellow redeemed that we will faithfully keep the word, this good thing which is committed unto us to the last iota, so help us God. This context for pure doctrine is a blessed test when it has the salvation of souls for its motive. It certainly is worth being called uncharitable quarrelers for its sake. Although it covers us with disgrace here below, the crown of eternal honor is in store for it above. <laughs> oh, man. There's no way that Rick Warren could say amen to any of this stuff. I, oh, this is amazing. Oh. Three. But, my brethren, there is still another reason why it is so important that we make the salvation of souls above all things the chief object of our joint labor in the kingdom of Christ. Namely, because then we shall certainly also continue in the points named, in life and doctrine, in labor and combat, in faith and confessing, and thus shall be kept from growing weary in trials. For the apostle in our text says to Timothy, not only keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, but also persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And on this subject, let me thirdly speak uh, just a few more words. From this point forward, we have a great difficult task before us. We have been united by the mutual conviction that the true church is not still in search of the saving truth, but has found it. Right. We're not looking for the truth. We found it. It's been revealed in, our, in God's word. She is the possessor and the keeper of it. Yep, that's exactly right. Therefore, she is always one and the same. And so we are also convinced today that she alone is the true church today that in doctrine and practice is in strictest accord with the true church of the past wherever she may have been but at the same time we are all convinced of the fact that the church of our fathers the evangelical lutheran church as she has professed her faith before the whole world in the unaltered augsburg confession and the other confessions is the true visible church of god on earth and we are resolved in the name of the Lord jointly to promote in doctrine and practice this church and none other in this country. Thus we oppose all the currents of our own time inside and outside the church. Now listen carefully. I mean, this talk about the courage of your convictions. Walther basically says, you know, you want a summary of what it is that the scriptures teach? Look to the Augsburg Confession. And as a result of the fact that, that that we confess this to be most certainly true, we therefore must oppose all the currents within the culture and within the church that oppose this sound doctrine. Wow. <laughs> there we can expect nothing else but what the true church has experienced immediately in the beginning and always. Namely, that she is that sect that everywhere is spoken against. Not peace and rest, but conflict and strife. Not honor and praise, but disgrace and abuse await us on every side. 
Right on. And it awaits us not only on the side of the unbelieving world, of the misbelieving fanatical sects, and of anti-Christian popery, but even on the side of many that are with us, children of one mother, that bear our name and display the same banner of confession. But what the result of our joint labor will be, we do not know. It rests with him who alone gives the increase to the planting and watering of his ministers according to his good pleasure. Perhaps he may have decreed not only to lead us into much strife, but also to grant us but little joy over victory. Mm -hmm. Not only to inflict on us much labor and trouble, but also to let us see but few valuable results. But what can and will certainly keep us from growing weary in our trials? What will give us strength to remain bold and cheerfully in battle array, holding in one hand the trowel and in the other the sword? Nehemiah 4.17-18 The only sure preservative is this, that the salvation of souls is and remains above all things the chief object of our joint labor. For if God honors us with being his instruments for that, what else could we desire? Does not Christ say, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Matthew 16.26 Therefore is not one single soul worth more than heaven and earth together with all their treasures? If every one of us would save even one single soul only, what greater and better deed could we even wish for them? Well then, my brethren, let us henceforth banish forever from our hearts every thought of seeking something for ourselves in our union. We will seek souls and lead them to Christ. We will keep souls with Christ. We will save souls. Let that spirit animate our synodical conference as a joint body. Let that fill every one of our synods and every one of our congregations, together with their ministers, with ardent zeal. Let this give to our assemblies their spirit and their purpose. Let this give to our communion its heavenly, indissoluble tie. And he who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2.4, shall always be with us, and even if we had to complain with Christ, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. Isaiah 49.4 Still hereafter, the word and promise of God shall be fulfilled also with us gloriously above all that we ask or think. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. May God the Father grant this to us all by the gracious assistance of his precious Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Oh! Oh! <laughs> was that good i'm beginning to become convinced that um good sermons 
are like wines. You know, the, the, they, they age. You know, I, I'm telling you, I'm spending a lot of time in uh, plundering, if you would, plundering the treasures of Christian doctrine and theology that uh, are much older than the 21st century. And what I am finding is, is that uh, here's the deal. God's tr- truth is eternal. These eternal truths were proclaimed with such clarity and boldness in times gone by. I mean, that that sermon is like a fine aged wine. Oh, man, you pull it off the shelf and you sip it and go, oh, that's so good. Oh, 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 man. (sighs) Folks. Sound doctrine and insisting on sound doctrine and fighting for sound doctrine and contending for sound doctrine is not contrary to the salvation of souls. It's a very, it is the, it is, it's wrapped up in the whole task itself. We are not called to let bad doctrine float idly by or suffer to let it, let sound doctrine be persecuted and verbally attacked within the church. We must stand for the truth, for what Scripture teaches and what it says. And in so doing, we save not only ourselves, but our hearers. 1 Timothy 4.16 Folks, if you find the stuff that we serve up here day after day, the, the daily dose of biblical discernment, the sermon reviews, the biblical teaching that we offer here at Fighting for the Faith to challenge you and prod you and stretch you to grow deeper in sound doctrine and in Christ, then will you stand with us and partner with us financially? We're looking for 1,000 of our listeners to join the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. It is a mere $6.95 a month. And by signing up and getting to that, when we get to that 1,000, we ensure that we are able to continue to bring this radio program to you month after month, week after week, day after day, and to the glory of God year after year, so long as he, he should tarry or see fit to have us allow, uh, allow us to continue to proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins, repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, to call for sound doctrine, to call sound, false doctrine what it is, and to encourage people to go deeper into God's word. Partnering with us makes it possible for us to do that. So visit fightingforthefaith.com and click on the Join Our Crew button. And, of course, if you'd like to donate above and beyond that, a flat amount of money you know, or a larger amount, we are so thankful for those who do so. You can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gifts payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46. Zero three eight, and when you uh, when you join the crew, you have access to our Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio Cove, a growing treasure trove of plundered treasures of the Christian faith throughout the throughout the ages. Uh, there for your for your edification and building up in our most holy and Christian faith. So uh, join the Pirate Christian Radio crew today, today. Do it today. Don't wait. Do it today. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and I'd love to get your feedback on today's really rich, super-packed uh, edition of Fighting for the Faith. And uh, and we do, believe it or not, I do read emails on the air. It's been a while since I've done that, but I do read every one of my emails, but I do not have the ability to respond to them all. But uh, your feedback is valuable. 
I do respond to some of these emails on the air. So, again, the way you email me is uh, by going to uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook or follow me on Twitter. My name on Facebook is uh, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Twitter, it's pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross, even for your sins. Amen.